Out of all the prayers that they could have sung this morning, they sung the prayer of Jabez. A man whose name means he who was born in pain. And it's funny that his prayer was, God, enlarge my territory. Because in order for God to surrender more territory, you have to have surrendered your heart to him. You have to have learned how to seek him, how to desire him above anything and everything else. And a lot of times that costs you something. You have to have gone through some things to be able to pray that prayer. And a lot of times that comes with us being afflicted. So I, God, I thank you. Choir, thank you for that confirmation. I thank you all. I bless you all. Man, glory be to God for you all. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin Williams. I'm one of the associate ministers here for New Mission Missionary Baptist Church. And in our pastor's absence, because he's delivering the word elsewhere, uh, it is my honor and my charge uh, to be able to bring the word this morning, amen. Uh, to my pastor in your absence, thank you for your trust, thank you for your love, thank you for your, your fatherhood, your brotherhood, I greatly appreciate it and I do not take it for granted. Uh, to my family, my, uh, my good thing, my rib, my wife, and to our daughter, uh, the, the latest blessing in our family. Uh, I love you all more than words can say. Uh, I pray that the love of God pour through me onto you and everything that I do and in everything that I say. My grandmother, my aunt, my mom, I love you all. Thank you for your undying support. I love you all more than words can say. All right, I guess it's time to... <laughs> Let's get the word. If you, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, our word today, our scripture today comes out of Psalms, the 119th chapter, the 73rd through the 75th verse. And I'll be reading out of the NIV version. It may read differently on your screen. The 119th chapter of the Psalms. 73rd through the 75th verse. And it reads as such. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. This is the verse that trips me out. I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous and that in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. You may be seated in the presence of God. 
Heavenly Father, even now, I'm trusting you to do what only you are able. Have your way. Hold my tongue to not say what you don't have me to say and unleash it that I may say everything you have me to say. Glory to your name, honor to your name, majesty unto your name. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If we're going to be honest, when we look at this verse from a natural standpoint, it does not make sense. The idea of being afflicted because God is faithful, from a natural understanding, does not make sense sense if God is faithful why would he allow us to be afflicted in the first place why would he allow us to go through what we haven't asked for what we haven't deserved what we haven't brought upon ourselves if God is faithful why would he allow that to happen and even in the midst of that how does that show that he is faithful in order in order for you to answer that question it has to come with knowing God's heart. And many times the only way we can get to know God's heart is by going through affliction. The very thing that you're trying to avoid is also the very thing that drives you to need him, to seek him, to desire him in a way that you would not do if you had not been afflicted. God allows us to be afflicted because he wants us to show us more of who he is. And that level of desiring him Needing him is only birth in our affliction. Otherwise, we'd continue to do stuff in our own strength and in our own understanding, and our pride would set us up for destruction that we never knew was coming our way because our pride would lead us to believe that not only do we not need to know God, we don't need God. But God is so gracious. And so good that he'll use whatever it takes to grab your attention for you to seek him, even if it hurts, because he's doing it out of a love that we can't even begin to comprehend, that we can't begin to understand. And if we're being perfectly honest, sometimes that we can't even believe. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse three says this. He says. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. And therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Amen. One of the reasons this scripture is so hard to believe is because he says this to the, to the Israelites at a time where they are in Babylon. They're in exile at this point. They've been oppressed, they've been murdered, they've been conquered, they've been ripped from their homes by one of the most ruthless empires in the world at that time. And in the midst of their pain, in the midst of them being beaten down, in the midst of them losing all hope for a future, God has the audacity to tell them, yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And therefore, with loving kindness, have I drawn you. How could he say something when they're in the midst of something as painful, as hopeless, as destructive, 
as what they have been through? The answer is God would rather chastise them so that they learn that they need him than allow them to prosper and utterly destroy themselves. Just like any other good parent, God cared more about their covering than their comfort. He cared more about the fact that they needed to know that they need him rather than live under delusion that they didn't and destroy themselves for them to be comfortable in condemnation. Your affliction is designed to bring you to the place where you turn to God and experience his faithfulness because it puts you in a position to learn his heart. It teaches you to be obedient to who he is. And it shows you how to value him above all else. There is a service in your suffering. There's a service in your suffering. And many times that service has to begin with prompting us to turn toward God so that we can start to learn his heart. One of the reasons that Psalms 119 is so genius is because it was written as an acrostic acrostic poem meaning it was divided into sections based on the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And every verse in the Hebrew, every verse under that designated section begins with that letter. Verses 73 through 78 are found in the division that is called Yod in the Hebrew. It is a letter which represents, check this, humility. It is a letter that represents humility. And in these verses, the writer we see is dedicated to learning the word of God because he knows he is completely dependent on the word of God. That dependence only comes out of you knowing you need him because you've been going through something. Verses 71 and 72, and we love saying these verses. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Whatever this affliction was, it brought him to the place where he sought the word of God because the word of God is a reflection of the heart of God. God's word is his heart. And so in seeking God's word, especially in the heat of the hell that you've been going through, you are seeking God's heart because his word is his mind toward you, his will toward you, the living expression and manifestation of his heart. Our affliction drives us to seek that above all else. And in learning his word, in learning his commands, in learning his decrees, we learn him. We learn him. And above all else, hmm, that is more precious, more valuable, is worth it. (laughs) Above all else is worth it. And so now the author is praising God's faithfulness even in the midst of his affliction because he realizes that God afflicted him not only so he would know the heart of God, but so that he would know how precious the word of God is. He says that your word is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver 
and gold. Job said it this way. Job said that I have come to treasure your word more than my necessary food. I need you more than life itself. You are more precious to me than anything life has to offer. Anything that I could gain from this life, you are more precious than any of it. I'm ashamed to say this, but I'm going to say it. I would never have saw God the way that I'm seeking him now if I had not been afflicted with suffering. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I would not have learned to seek after, to chase after, to desire God the way that I am now if I were not going through something. But in the midst of him afflicting me, I go from simply needing him to desiring I learn to go from just, just needing him to actually enjoying him. And even though I hate what I'm going through, we may hate what we be going through. I love the fact that he's allowing to find him. He's allowing me to find him in the midst of what I'm going through. What is it that God is using to get your attention? What is it that God is afflicting you with? that you have no way out of, that you have no choice but to seek after him. So that you get to the place where you know you need God. It's one thing to need God. Every, we all need God. But it's something else entirely to know that you need God. Because when you know you need God, you chase after him because you know he's the only thing that can satisfy your need for him. In his letter to the Babylonians, Jeremiah tells the Israelites in chapter 29 that God is saying, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. The more of God that we seek, the more of him he allows us to find. And when you find that he is your satisfaction, when you find that he is your pleasure, when you find that he is the center of your everything, Scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will grant you the desires of your heart. That word delight in the Hebrew actually means to be soft with, to be delicate with. Because you see him as precious, you see him as so necessary, as so essential, as so vital, you can't help but treasure him. You can't help but value him. You can't help but put him above all else because you are so delicate and so precious with who he is that you mark him as the center of your everything. And when that happens, it makes you want to obey him. It makes you want to know him. It makes you want to walk after him. It makes you want to be more like him. It makes you want to know him. But it starts with knowing that you need Because your need turns into a desire. And in desiring him, it drives you to obey him. Psalm 119, 67 through 68, it says this. It says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. Check this out. You are good. Come on now. And what you do is good. 
teach me your decrees. Somewhere in the midst of verse 67, the writer's affliction taught him something. He says that before he was afflicted, he went astray, which lets us know that at the time he didn't have the discipline to walk into the knowledge of God. He didn't have the discipline to walk wholeheartedly into who God was. We know that because scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We don't naturally seek God just because he's God. Let's keep, let's, let's, let's be real. We don't naturally seek, we don't have that capacity. We don't have that understanding. We don't have that sense. We don't have that. Fearing God, reverencing God, and learning how good he is requires a discipline that only God can give. It has to be taught. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 say, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. Because God loves us, his love prompts him to discipline us. That don't just happen when we do something wrong. It happens when our heart is wrong. It happens when our attitude is wrong. It it, it, it is when our attitude is jacked up, when our understanding of him is messed up. He corrects it and corrects us because he loves us and that correction has to come in the form of affliction. Why? Because it makes you humble yourself. To admit that you don't know and to trust him to guide you in his way even when you don't like the way that he's doing it. Paul Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 12 and 8 through 10 when he's talking about the thorn in his side. He says three times. And that word times actually means seasons. Don't know when it starts. Don't know when it ends. But three seasons. I pleaded with God to take it away from me. But he said to me, yo, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He didn't learn how to delight in his weakness because he knew how to do it. God had to allow affliction to come his way so that it could adjust his attitude, adjust his perspective. And when Paul allowed the suffering to make him admit that he didn't understand, to make him admit that he didn't know, to make him admit that he couldn't do it without God, to make him admit that I need you, God. The result of his affliction allowed the power of God to rest upon him. So now, because of the result of his reflection, I can delight in my hardship. I can delight in my weakness. No, I don't like what I'm going through. I'm not delighting the fact that I'm afflicted, but I'm delighting in what the affliction is doing. I'm delighting in the fact that because of my affliction, I know I need God. I know how weak I am. And so, God, allow your power to rest on me. 
The writer of Psalm 119 said it. He had that same understanding because after talking about his affliction, he says in verse 62, you are good. And what you do is good. It don't feel good. It don't look good. But you are good. And because you are good, what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. The more of him we learn and the more of him we obey, the more of his goodness we see and the more like him we want to become. Psalm 37 and 5 says, commit your way unto the Lord. And that word commit in the Hebrew actually means to roll unto. Because when you roll into something, you are continually progressing in the way of whatever it is you are rolling into. So when it says commit your way unto the Lord, he's saying continually, perpetually, progress, grow, mature, walk in to who he is. And you do that by obeying his word. That's something that's learned in your affliction. To obey his word. And because you learn to obey him, you learn to value him and seek him above anything and everything else. I'm learning that many times when we're being afflicted, it's hard to focus on anything else but your affliction. A lot of times the things that you go to to find peace, to find comfort, to find joy, it doesn't have the same effect that it once did. A lot of times, all we feel is the weight, the hurt, the strain, the pain, the uncertainty that our affliction is putting on us. It robs us of our sleep, squeezes our lungs to the place we can't breathe, smothers our hope that things are ever going to get better. But in the midst of our affliction, God does something. He, he is so good that he gives us something priceless to comfort us with. Something that we can hold on to when everything else is falling apart. That will stand in the midst of the hell that you're going through. That will grant you peace where you can't find it anywhere else. And the secret is in verse 76. Here's, check this out. May your unfailing love be my comfort. Hey, according to your promise to your servant. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The word promise in the Hebrew actually means according to God's speech, yes, sir. according to God's utterance, yes, sir. according to God's word. Yes, sir. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're struggling with. But when God tells you something, yes, sir. Say it, say it. In the midst of the hell that you're going through, in the midst of what you don't know, when God says something to you, in the midst of when the bottom has fallen out, in the midst of what what people are saying around you, when God tells you something, even when you don't understand, even when it don't look good, even when your situation is saying something completely different, when God says something to you, when he says something to you, I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what anybody else does. When God says something to you, it is something that will keep you. 
It will hold you. It will uplift you. It will strengthen you. It'll grant you peace. It'll grant you life. It'll show you his love. Because his word will reveal to you just how much he loves you. Now check this out. Watch this. And I'm done. Check this out. Check out how awesome God is. John tells us something. He gives us good news in John chapter 1, verse 14. This is what God, John says about God's word. The word became flesh. <laughs> Somebody didn't catch that. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No. Yes, sir. The very thing that gives you life. Yes, sir. The very thing that gives you peace. The very thing that you can't do without. The very thing that is above all else, your everything, the center of your everything, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. God loves you so much that he allowed his word, the very thing you can't do without, the very thing that you need above all else, the one thing that can give you peace, can give you strength, can give you life, can give you hope, can give you joy, can give you all that you need. He allowed that thing to take on flesh and dwell among us where you are, where I am. So that we could have access to it. The one who is the image of the invisible God. The manifest expression of his heart and his will toward you. He took upon himself flesh. And more than that. Check this out. He took upon himself my affliction. Your affliction. Our affliction. To the place where Isaiah 53 says this. He says, surely he hath borne our griefs. He hath carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He was wounded. Yes, sir. For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Later on, later on in that same passage of scripture, he says, he 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 gets even deeper. He says this. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. And to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's you. That's me. Yes, sir. That's us. Hey, thank you. And prolong his days and the will of the Lord will yes, prosper in his hand. Yes, After he has suffered, yes, sir. he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Yes, sir. And by his knowledge... Yes, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. 
He allowed his word to be afflicted. His word. The very manifestation of his heart. His beloved. Everything he treasured. Everything he holds dear. He allowed his word to be afflicted. So that he can meet you. Meet me. Meet us. In our affliction. Pour his love over your wounds. Lift your head up and show you who he is. To show you that he cares. To show you that he hears. To show you that he feels. To show you that above all else, his love for you is faithful. In spite of what your affliction may look like, I don't care what your suffering may look like, above all else, he is afflicting you to show that he is faithful toward you. He is faithful toward us. His love cannot fail. It does not fail. It withstood the cross. It withstood eternity. It withstood death. It withstood the grave. It withstood hell. It'll withstand your storm. It'll withstand your pain. It'll withstand your need to understand. It'll withstand your weakness. It'll withstand your weakness. It'll withstand your weakness. It'll withstand your weakness because above all else, his love is faithful. And it stands to reason that his love is faithful because he is faithful. Above all else, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what you're going through. God is in the midst telling you that I am faithful in the midst of your affliction. So no, you don't have to worry. No, you don't have to be afraid. No, you don't have to fret. No, you don't have to understand. I am right here, right now with you in the midst of your affliction. I was afflicted for you. I will be here with you in spite of the fact that you are being afflicted because I got you. I'm showing you me. I'm teaching you me. I'm teaching you me. I'm teaching you me. And in spite of what we go through, above all else, that is more precious than anything else. It makes it worth it. It makes it worth it. No, we don't like what we're going through. No, we don't understand it. Yeah, we want to question why. Yeah, at times we want to give up. Yeah, at times we cry until we can't cry no more. But God is so good. God is so good that even in the midst of, he'll let you know that he loves you. For those of you watching, for those of you that, that do not know God, that have not met, have not surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a number on your screen. You call that number, someone will get back with you, someone will usher you into surrendering unto God so that you can know his faithfulness. That number is 513-400-5131. Those of us in the house, the ministers will be here 
We will be in the vestibule so that we can pray for you, so that we can usher you in to knowing just how good, how faithful, how excellent, how merciful, how wonderful, how lovely, how majestic, yes, Lord. 